pray, God, that this morning you'd be lifted high. Lord, I pray for just the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would uh, do through me what I cannot accomplish. And God, I pray that uh, we would find hope and comfort in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, I, w I was thinking uh, over the weekend, you know, we're, we're coming up on uh, 15 years as a church body, and um, I was thinking about over the 15 years, uh, there's been so many periods in time of great, great grief. It's inevitable as you live life, but I think I can honestly say like over the last 40 days, I, I have, it's hard to to measure in comparison to other situations, but uh, some of the greatest grief we've known as a church since we've started, um, I was thinking about the, the passing of uh, Bonnie and what Tim is going through, uh, the passing of Dwight and, and Holly and his girls, and, and now uh, Chase that just literally was here and uh, said in that room right over there in a Bible study I was in, seems like two weeks ago, and uh, led a small group, and now is uh, no longer with us. And you go through that, uh, and it, it, it just, in times of loss and grief and suffering, it really can rock our world. I remember uh, years ago, I don't know if you have these kind of thoughts, my brain's weird, I was in the driveway one day, and I remember where I was. It was, it was sort of strange. I, I was by myself, and I was in the driveway. I was in my uh, mid to late 30s, and I sat there, and it hit me, and I thought to myself, you know, I was like, I, I, I haven't experienced a lot of intense trials in my life. And I sat there and I was thinking and reflecting on the fact that God uses suffering and God uses trial to sanctify us. And it was sobering to me. It hit me because I was just re re realizing that, that because, and it sort of made me confused because at that point I was thankful for the mercy of God, but it just hit me. I, I remember uh, one day in this building, years ago, my office was on the opposite side of the building than it is now. And it hit me, and I thought our congregation was very young and, and very young in, in, in the days we had been together as a church. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, we, we haven't really gone through any death in this congregation. And it, it seemed like it wasn't a matter of weeks or days that, that we lost uh, Cindy Ulinsky. And it was just a short time thereafter that we'd lost the tragedy of uh, Howard Martin. And it seemed like just a breath went by and all of a sudden we heard the news of Brooke. And it just sent this congregation reeling. And I remember, you know, I, as, as Stan mentioned, I didn't uh, collaborate with him, but I think one thing that we have to share, sort of like come together as a family, and you have to realize, and sometimes, you know, youth will hide you from the reality of life. But the longer you live, you're going to deal with intense pain. And the longer you live, you're going to come face to face with intense grief. And I praise God that, that many in this room have not had intense suffering like some have had. And that is something that's a mystery in, in the eyes of, 
of, of, of the framework of the counsels of God. But I think one thing we have to do is we have to get a framework because it's in these kind of moments and it's in these kind of struggles and it's in this kind of pain where a lot of people are tempted to doubt the goodness of God. And if we don't have our foundations and our footers firmly set, we are prone for great despair. This morning, I want to look with you just a message, uh, a framework for suffering, a framework for suffering. And um, this morning, what I want to do with you is, um, it, as I was thinking about yesterday and just chewing on things, I thought about, okay, so, so what do we do in times where we're tempted to be overwhelmed what do we do when we're tempted to despair? And, I, and, and, and this morning, I'm going to jump around, but I really believe with all my heart that if you take what we've been studying uh, in theology about the character and the attributes of God, and if you take our study in Hebrews, that while this is going to be more topical than we normally are, I really believe it, it, it is faithful as what we've been looking at. It's sort of a summation of what have we learned about who God is? What have we learned about Christ? And, and, and right off the bat today, the first thing that hit me, and, and I promise you that if, if we're going to develop a framework of suffering, we could go way beyond five points. But this morning, the things that have been grabbing my heart this weekend as I've been processing, as I've been dealing with uh, emotions looking into this and emotions that have been affected by this, the first reality, the, the first thing that, that we have to do that we cannot ever forget is, number one, we have to hold tight to the character of God. Hold tight to the character of God. When we get into situations like this, we often um, have that question where we say, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we respond? And I'll tell you, you know, uh, from my heart to you, one thing that is so important is that we know the God of the Bible. We don't just know about him, but we know him. And so often, um, if you want to assure yourself of shipwreck, potential shipwreck, when it comes to trials and intensity of loss, don't grow in the knowledge of who God is. And this is going to be birthed not just from hearing faithful preaching wherever God's provided it, but this is going to be birthed in, in an intimate walk with Christ in the Word. I tell you, and I, and I encourage you, if you're not in the Word of God in your day-to-day -day, in a rhythm of your life, don't be surprised if you second-guess the character of God when it comes to the intensity of trial in your life. Because the only way to grow in an understanding of who God is is to know the God of the Word and how he has revealed himself. You know, I was thinking about what we learned in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter one, do you remember the opening? It's such a, uh, it's such a powerful opening. And, and, and what the author of Hebrews does in Hebrews one, verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then he says in verse two of Hebrews one, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God has spoken. He's spoken through the prophets. He's spoken through the Son. And it is because of that, it is because of that reality that we find out who he is. It is because that he has spoken that we can discover his character. It, 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 we were looking uh, last Sunday night about, it, it's just, uh, it's sobering. We were talking about, what do you learn about snippets of the character of God? There's so many characteristics of who God is. It's hard to do it in one night. But we were just talking like snapshots of like all the different characteristics that we receive that God has revealed himself through in the scripture. And we were like, how do we look at this and how do we practically apply this? And, and, and one thing that hit me is like, you know, life is hard, trials are intense. And if we're gonna navigate through the toughest of valleys, no matter what they may be, we desperately need a knowledge of who God has revealed himself to be. And I want to, this morning, I can't focus on all of them because we don't have the time, but a few that really hit my heart just reflecting on this yesterday. And I told the group Sunday night, you got to be careful of pointing out characteristics of God in isolation from one another. And I don't want to be guilty of that this morning, but some that I believe to be true when we deal with loss and we deal with pain. One is we have to remind ourselves that God is love. That God is love in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you remember when Paul's praying to the church at Ephesus, what he says about love? He's praying for the church to grow up in Christ. But what he says is tremendous when it relates to what love is. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. He's not only love, we, we learn in the Bible a reality that it really causes us to hush, and it causes us to just be in awe of who God is, but the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign. He's in control. This is his world. We are his creatures. He's all powerful in his sovereignty. In Job chapter 42, we read a verse that, that ought to, instead of bring us to question, it ought to bring us to our knees. It says in Job 42 too, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I wanna challenge you. A lot of times the way people deal with difficulty when we can't understand it, tragedy like we've just walked through and the family is reeling in, they, they think that in that moment, the best thing to do is to remove God from it. But I want to challenge you, that is the worst option possible. If God is not Lord over his creation, who are we serving? God is powerful and God numbers our days. And we can't understand it. I, I, would, be, I would be arrogant and and incredibly presumptuous to stand up and say that I understand the plans and the counsel of God. But what it should do is rather than put God on the docket, so to speak, it's to bring us to a place where we hit our knees and we say, God, you 
are the creator. You're the one that holds all things in your hands. Job tells us that. Isaiah 55 is sobering, isn't it? When the prophet, through his revealing here, the words of God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We see his love. We see his sovereignty. Another one we were just talking about a week ago was his omniscience. He knows all. I want to read you these words, and I pray they comfort you today. In Psalm 139, listen to uh, the psalmist, uh, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He's omniscient. He knows all. And in his omniscience, we have to see this connection. If, if Because God is omniscient, he exercises perfect wisdom. Perfect wisdom. Listen to the words of A.W. Tozer. He says, God is infinitely wise, consistently wise, perfectly wise. Tozer writes, wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. Our comfort is in the reality that Romans says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. But I want to tell you something that really comforts me. He's not only loving, sovereign, and omniscient. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? But he is compassionate. He's compassionate. Uh, you know, in Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, are, two, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? I read an article about a month ago, and uh, at the time I was looking for some help on a passage. And... Uh, I came across something that didn't really help me on that passage, but yesterday I was like, I remember that article I read. And the article was very good, and it was by a solid uh, man. And, 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 and last night I was trying to Google to find that article. <laughs> and I found it, and I had some passages in there about the compassion of God. And, and, and if you're interested in it, see me, and I'll pass it along to you. And, and, and in it, it just reminded of, you remember when Hagar lifted up her voice in the wilderness of Beersheba, God drew near to her. He drew near. In that verse in Genesis 21, 17, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. You remember when Hannah wept bitterly outside the temple, God noticed and remembered. And there in 1 Samuel 1, 17, 
It says, then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grants your petition that you have made to him. Isn't it comforting that uh, God didn't get weary with listening when David became weary with moaning, the article said. I love that. Those aren't my words. That was the author's, but I, it, I borrow that. That's good. In Psalm 6, David cries out, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I, I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. And then it says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. And then the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Aren't you thankful today that that the Bible doesn't just reveal that God is sovereign, but it reveals that he's compassionate. He's compassionate. He's wise. He's loving. He's omniscient. He, he, Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God is aware of all of our tears. And in Psalm 121, it says in verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And, and, and King Hezekiah heard the words in 2 Kings 25 when the Lord revealed to him, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus says in Luke 6, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. That's an amazing promise. When you're weeping, the last thing you're thinking about in the middle of weeping is laughing. But the God who fulfills his promises is the God who's aware of not just the present, but he's aware of his fulfillments in the future. And in comparison to the enormity of the pain in the present, he's the God in his omniscience who knows how all things will be. It's comforting. In Luke 7, 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. I could really just stop on this first point. And, and you know, lamentations, do you remember uh, Jeremiah is going into Jerusalem and it's been destroyed and he's overwhelmed with grief. And he comes in remembering my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall my soul, and then he says, in the midst of all he's feeling, he says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, but because Jeremiah was God's man, Jeremiah had grown to understand the character of God. And listen to what he says in the midst of real intense agony in his life. He says this, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The second one this morning, 
that I want to challenge you with is not only holding tight to the character of God when you don't understand, but the second, the second one I want you to consider this morning is look to your great high priest. Look to our great high priest. I tell you, one of the most dangerous things that can happen is when you go through pain that you can't understand, the temptation is, is to question God and say, why this suffering? If you are good, why are you bringing this? If you are good, why suffering in your world that you created? Those are the types of questions that some people have fallen into, and it has brought about rather than a humble response, a bitter one. But here's what I want to challenge you with. In Hebrews, what have we learned? We're asking the wrong question when we ask that. When we don't understand suffering, it's pivotal, it's imperative in the life of the people of God that we look to the suffering servant. When we don't understand suffering, look to the suffering servant. In John 1.14, the incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we read, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that the God of glory entered into this world of sin? The God of glory came to take suffering upon himself. The God of glory came to remedy all sin and suffering. In the midst of suffering, look to the one who experienced it and endured it and who is our sympathetic and sinless high priest. We read in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. You want to see suffering? Look at Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the midst of pain, it's hard and it's confusing. But by the grace of God, point your gaze. Look to the wonder of him as our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And then what does he go on to say? He says, that you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. We read going on down to verse nine, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's our great high priest. Remember chapter 2, verse 14 of Hebrews? He says in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. And then in verse 17, listen to these words of Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I want to encourage you 
when you're dealing with pain and you're dealing with enormous questions is look to Jesus. He understands. Look to Jesus. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And you say, how in the world could he sympathize with our weaknesses? Because he partook of the same things. He willingly came to die in our place. I've got a lot more to cover uh, in this section, but I want you to challenge you with like Philippians 2, 5 through 11. What did he do? Although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I think the question that often can hit us is like, God, do you really love us? God, do you really love us? Why is this happening? What is going on in my life? And what do we do as Christians? We have to be anchored in the character of God. And we have to be anchored in the reality that through the incarnation, we learn Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He loves us. And in that reality, we're reminded of Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The third one that I would challenge you to remember when we think about suffering, and this is, can go two different ways here. The first one is weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. But, but the reality is this can be another side of this coin because we might be in the middle of it. And in that part, I would say receive comfort from the body of Christ. Receive comfort from the body of Christ. When, when we're dealing with the enormity of pain and loss, the Lord has brought a body together in a church setting and God ministers through his people. And so we, on one hand, are called to minister to those in the midst of the storm. And when we are the ones in the midst of the storm, we are to receive comfort the way God has prescribed through the loving people and vessels of his body. I want to point you to 2 Corinthians. It was read earlier by Stan. But did you catch that? He is the God and Father Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. But, but notice, let me ask you something. You may think this sounds trite, but I mean it. Like, uh, who can say that in the midst of pain in life that you've received comfort from God in the midst of your affliction? Can anybody else just testify to that by raising your hand? And the beauty of the body of Christ is that God calls us to not only receive that comfort from him, but he calls us to do what? Comfort others with the comfort that we've received. It's a beautiful picture because do you realize that it's in the gospel of John that we learn that the Holy Spirit is the one who's the divine comforter. John 14, 26 speaks of the word they're used for the Holy Spirit. He's the divine comforter. So you say, how in the world could we comfort others with the comfort we've received through the power of the Holy Spirit? And, and now we become a vessel. So when we think about this, 
what we learn is, is you remember um, in, 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 in the gospel of uh, John, it speaks to that in John 14, 26, John 16, 7, that I was thinking about Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And the passage that's always baffled me is that you get into John 11 and what did Jesus say? He, before he ever went to raise Lazarus from the dead, he basically announced that he was going to do that. And yet he gets there and looking at the pain that Mary and Martha are dealing with and all the people, what did Jesus do in John eleven thirty five? 35? He wept. He wept. He saw the effects of the fall. He saw the pain that they were facing and even in knowing what he would bring about through the resurrection of Lazarus, he wept when he saw the condition of all they were facing. We weep with others. I tell you, I, uh, I don't know about you, but even as a pastor, sometimes when people are going through pain, I find myself at a loss as to what to do. Anybody else relate with me? You'd think you'd learn that after being a minister for many years. And, and so many times I'll pick up the phone and I'm, I'm just like a lot of mama's boys. I'll call my mom and I'll say, mom, here I am a minister and I don't even know what to do in a situation. And so often what she'll say to me is, Stephen, it's the ministry of presence. Just be with them. You don't have to go and say anything because right now they're really not needing to hear anything. They just want to know you care. They just want to see you there. They just want to know that you are worried about them and caring for them and praying for them. That's good advice because a lot of you, I know, have faced the same thing that I've faced where you feel like, I just don't know what to do. And, and the worst thing you can do, and I've done it before, is do nothing. But what you can do is, is you, in your humility of not knowing what to do, you can reach out and seek to minister. And even when you don't know what to do, by God's grace, as you seek to please him and seeking to comfort other people, the Holy Spirit works through that. I've seen people that uh, thought they were, they were worthless in their, in their words and, and, and being a pastor and, and being next to people. I've watched people come in that stumbled all over themselves. But what they said meant the world to people because they cared. They cared. You know, it could be a card. It could be a text. It could be serving them. It could be bringing them something. It's praying for them definitely. The fourth one, we're almost done. The fourth one is, and this may sound strange to you, framework of suffering. I, I want to encourage you. And I, the fourth one, I want you to think about when, when, when we deal with loss in the body of Christ, this is one that we often avoid. The fourth one is consider your own mortality. Consider your own mortality. Did you realize that a lot of us spend the majority of our life avoiding this. We don't want to think about it because it's uncomfortable. But when a 44-year-old man dies, when a 46-year-old man dies, like we experienced recently, when children die, when teenagers die, when 95-year-old men and women die, we need to consider the reality that we will face our maker. And I tell you, it's, uh, it's in times like this where we have to recognize that, as James says in chapter four, that our life is truly a mist. 
Our life is truly a vapor. And some of you are here this morning and, uh, and, and it resonates with you because you, you do. You feel empathy and you feel great concern for Mariah and the girls. But I want you to ask yourself the question, am I prepared to meet my maker? Am I prepared to meet the creator? Don't avoid that. Don't simply run from the awkwardness of dealing with your own death. It, the Bible speaks about, in Psalm 103, it says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Job 14 says, Man who was born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. I was at a friend's funeral. The loss of his little boy, who was five years old, he died of the childhood version of what my dad died of. He died of childhood ALS. It's not called that, but that's what it was. And, and I'll never forget it. The preacher got up, this, this dear guy from Ohio, and he stood up and he said, he read the passage or he alluded to man being a vapor. And he said, whether you are five or whether you are 98, your life's a vapor. I'll never forget that. It doesn't matter if you're born within 10 minutes of coming into this world or whether you reach as one lady in Japan recently, I think reached 116, wow. Whether it's 116 or whether it's six, life is quick. And when we face the loss of people dear to us, whether it's family, friends, or others we hear about in the community, or no matter who it is, ask the Lord, run to him and say, oh God, would you help me consider my days? Oh God, would you help me consider my heart? Would you plead with God in humility and say, oh Lord, would you reveal what I need to see? Oh Lord, would you uncover what needs to be uncovered? Oh God, would you reprove me? Oh God, would you shape me? Oh God, would you help me to count my days? Oh God, would you help me to, to develop by your grace spiritual disciplines to grow in you? Oh God, would you give me perspective as it relates, as Stan Gibby earlier said, that so often the, the meaningless comforts that we find not in Christ, but we find in this world. Consider your mortality. Finally, this morning, I want to encourage you. Hope in the promises of God. Hope in the promises of God. And this is where I'm so thankful that God has put Hebrews in our heart and our minds as we've been going through this in this season. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, I pray this would hit you different. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we've learned this. God delivers on his promises. He's faithful. He's faithful to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, as we think about Chase and we think about just the, set, the pain of separation and loss, I want to remind you the promise of God Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And you remember there at the end of what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, never forget this. At the end of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll never forget, uh, he's now in heaven, but a dear older gentleman in my 20s, my Greek professor, looked at us and I had a small class that year 
in his class, and he looked down at us, and he says, men, he said, never forget, and he was explaining Greek tenses and grammar, and he said, this phrase is, is age upon age upon age, that he'll never leave you. I'm with you always. Age upon age upon age. In Psalm 147, great is our Lord and abundant in power. We talked about God's love, his omniscience, his wisdom, his power. We didn't mention his power earlier, but I want you to see something here. How can we hold to the promises of God? And, and, and that attribute that we call here is his omnipotence and that he's all powerful. And, and I want you to think of something here. I was, I, it hit me uh, walking out of the hospital Friday night around 3 a.m. I felt in that cold air, I felt an enormous sense of helplessness. And I got in my car and it was cold and, and just a shock. And, and, but you realize something? And, and I, wanna, I, want you to, I want you to hear this. Like God is faithful to keep his word. And, 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 and these are the, this is the framework of, of like, how do, we, how do we go through the unthinkable? One thing we have to remember is because he's all powerful, Revelation 21, listen to this. The end of the book. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. So this morning in summary, Framework for suffering. Hold tight to the character of God. Look to our great high priest. Weep with those who weep. Receive comfort from those who bring it. Consider your own mortality. Hope in the promises of God. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you, God, that you've spoken. I thank you, Lord, that in our doubts and in our fears and in our confusion, you bring clarity. And Lord, even when we can't understand what you've revealed, we can rest in it. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you, Lord, for the promise and I thank you, Lord, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that, Lord, that, that you would grow us in the faith, 
I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just learn things about you, but Lord, I pray that, God, you would equip everybody in this room to live this life walking in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would take all of us, God, you're omniscient. You know what all of us are gonna face in the future. Lord, we don't know what that is. But Lord, I pray that, that you would truly give us a framework of trusting you when it doesn't make sense. And Lord, I pray right now again, I pray, Lord, for the precious Epps family. Oh God, I pray that you would minister to them and I pray, Lord, that you would use the body of Christ to love them, to weep with them, to be with them. I pray, oh God, that we would serve them well in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the hope that you bring in the scripture and the hope that's through Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.